If you're thinking about buying a house, a big factor is how much you can afford. Unless you've got a boatload of cash under your mattress from shady penny stocks, you'll need a competitively priced loan, which you will then spend 30 years of your life paying back. Since you're parting with a large amount of money, you'll naturally have a lot of questions. If you don't naturally have a lot of questions, obviously money is of no concern to you. In which case, please crowdfund my new startup. We make raincoats for cats. The first step is to get pre-approved for a loan. Realtor.com can help steer you in the right direction for this. Everyone has different mortgage priorities. Flexibility, low monthly payments, ensuring payments never increase. A good mortgage lender will help you decide what's best for you. Your mortgage lender will review your income, debts, assets, employment, and credit history to determine how much home you can afford, your loan options, the monthly payments you can expect, the down payment you'd need, and the closing costs. Then, they'll give you a pre-approval letter if you qualify. This basically tells sellers, look at me, I can get a loan. It's very important you do not lose this letter. I knew a guy once who did. Good morning, Kelly. So we know what MBS are, right? They're, they're bonds backed by mortgages. Well, these are bonds backed by single family rental homes. So investors get not only the rental stream, but they could also get a cut of the property if and when it's sold. Now, Blackstone sources say we'll be making the first offering as early as next week in a $500 million deal. Blackstone is the largest investor in single-family rental homes. There have been a lot of investors out there doing this, buying and then rehabbing these foreclosures to rent. Blackstone, through its invitation homes, has spent an estimated $5.5 billion on more than 32,000 homes, according to a recent report from KBW. Now, this securitization is really just the next step in leverage, but investors say they already have a lot of questions. Acted like you know we we uh, we are in traditional ABS or RMBS deals, uh, and then from an ongoing perspective, uh, we want to look at the operations. Um, this is a uh, again, it's a new asset class, and so um, we want to make sure that the the sponsor um, that has you know invested the equity uh, is going to be able to collect rents, uh, re-rent these properties in, in, in a fairly short time period, and basically be very efficient about operations. Now, again, these could be launched by the middle of next week. J.P. Morgan, Credit Suisse, and Deutsche Bank will market the bonds, according to sources close to the matter. The deal represents a few thousand homes. We don't know exactly where these homes are located, but we do know that most investment in single-family rentals has happened in Southern California, Arizona, and Nevada. Now, sources say that at least one of the tranches in this deal will be AAA rated. But potential investors say they're not going to be looking at the ratings so much. That'll have to do with the cost. They're going to be doing their own homework on this one because, of course, no one wants to get burned the way they did in the subprime mortgage. This acquisition that we're seeing of the bulk portfolios, is it possible that it might make it harder for people to afford rental properties? No, I don't think so at all. I think it's actually becoming much more efficient. As more owners, large institutional groups get into the market, we're seeing more and more efficiencies and be able to run these properties even better. There's always been a lot of homes on the market. There's been generally around 11 million homes, and then we've added about 3.9 million homes over the last four or five years that have gone on to the rental market. So it's a huge market now. It's almost 15 million homes are, are rented are for rent. Yeah, at this point. So you, I mean, as you know, market noted, you've been doing this for a while. You 
you know, Tom, you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, even five years ago, I believe, is when you started doing this. So Cerberus now buying the homes, 4,000 of them. Are they coming in too late? I actually think it's a long-term business. It really, in the beginning, I actually really believed it was a trade. It was buy the home cheap, get a little income yield, and then flip the homes out later. Right. And a few years into the recovery. Today, I think we're seeing now much more permanent part of the population who are going to be renting. We, we're now back to producing households, 1.2 million households a year, and a lot of those are, are renters. But isn't that a bad sign, though? I mean, if you don't have people who are buying homes, what does that tell you about people's credit and their ability to save? Well, the credit markets are too tight, and that is true, but we are finally starting to see job growth. Here's the kicker, okay? I'm just wondering how much further this policy fraud has to go, because... Uh, now uh, we have a situation in Australia where the length of our mortgages is sliding out to 40, even 50 years, and of great concern to me, and I'm wondering whether it's starting to trend into the UK, is the latest form of uh, derivatives, the latest weapon of mass deception, that's rental-backed mortgage securities, where the renters, the rental income stream pays back the derivative holders, and this basically finances uh, the the next round of uh, of subprime like uh, property sharks to buy and hold real estate, and then flip these typically a single uh, dwelling units on large blocks of land in probably another seven or eight years for a, a huge markup. Yes, well, that is uh, the trend. The easiest profit, the, the lowest risk asset is real estate. So you, you see the um, investors and the sovereign wealth funds uh, from around the world gravitating towards those financial instruments that uh, give the surest uh, return, which is, happens to be from the rents uh, of um, property, what they perceive to be the lowest risk. And at the present time, with precious little going into capital formation that creates jobs to produce goods and services, uh, the, the uh, optimum investment asset is real estate. So that's where the financiers are gravitating towards and doing exactly as you described, trading in um, instruments that uh, rely on rents, uh, because at the moment, in reality, there's not much else happening. Uh, interest rates are so low across the world. Investment in productive enterprises is inadequate to sustain full employment. So what else are they to do? So what we have, you see, Carl, is the final death throes of a cannibalistic kind of economic activity. It's devouring itself now. Uh, instead of devouring others, and, and lapping up the opportunities that others create, innovate, with all that creativity and innovation basically gone, it can only now turn in on itself and feed on itself. So uh, in a very meaningful sense, we're seeing the end game of the rent-seeking culture. It's devouring itself. Yeah, the achievers. A little about the urban achievers, yes, and proud we are of all of them. As you know, real estate is run as a personal charity by the billionaires. Son of a bitch, I'm right behind you. Turn around and ask me for help with cheese, yo. Why you gotta make me feel inferior because I'm on the grill, B? Damn. What is it? A deja vu is usually a glitch in the matrix. It happens when they change something.
you have enormous acres of land, people revere you, they bow down to you, land's weighty. It makes a lot more impact on people than savings in the bank or shareholdings. When you go up and you see uh, all these fields, the, the birds, the, the water with the, the fish in it, which doesn't belong to you either, fish in the ocean doesn't belong to anyone else here except the land, uh, except the uh, landlords. Well, uh, that's the reason. They wouldn't feel the same if they lost all their land, even if you gave them money in the bank for it. It wouldn't be the same. All this, all I've tried to do tonight, all that, all that really happens with, with that is to, it's the only thing I've ever found anywhere, bar none, that has given me a, an ability to put a theoretical overview on what I'm seeing. That's all I do. Yes? I'm not always going to be right, but once I get that theoretical overview, it's been a huge help with stuff. Then, after that, you just got to learn how to read a chart. You do that with Cam. And yet, a way around it seems to happen or at least to be able to push things forward. So the, um, the banking elite, they are not going to allow the system to collapse. And one of the ways they can push things forward is by opening up new areas of the world where the land is yet to be mortgaged. Vietnam, China, um, parts, of, parts of Korea, North Korea, if they could ever get their hands on it. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of land around the world that the banks don't have their fingers in yet. The World Bank is constantly, this, I don't mean to sound conspiratorial, but the World Bank is constantly trying to break into those areas, as this organisation well knows, because we spent a lot of time in the early 1990s trying to get Russia, when it opened up, trying to get Russia into a system where they didn't privatise their rent, the rent of their resources. The World Bank move straight in there and anybody, anybody that was anybody that was counter their, to their viewpoint, the US, especially in the US, either didn't give them a visa or a passport or they were shot on the spot. It's as simple as that. We saw that happen. Did we not, Brian? We saw that happen. Yes. Yes. And of course, when the risks go bad, and this was very prominent in America, during the global crisis, when the, when the banks get into trouble, they get bailed out by the taxpayer. So it's, it's a rigged system. So basically, when a foreign country runs a balance of payment surplus, or when the United States military spends uh, enough dollars abroad, these dollars are all turned over to the central banks, like they were turned over to General de Gaulle's France in the 60s. The central banks turn around and uh, use these dollar inflows to buy uh, U.S. Treasury bills. So basically, the U.S. Treasury bills uh, are uh, financed, the U.S. domestic budget deficit, so it's military spending, creating a balance of payments deficit, creating a dollar glut for foreign central banks that is used to finance the domestic budget deficit that's military in nature. So under the current international financial system, foreign country savings of their, their central bank reserves are held in the form of loans to the Defense Department, the U.S. military, to surround them with military bases 
So they can say, if you don't do what we want, if you don't join our uh, finance organizations, if you don't finance our trade, if you make your pipelines go through countries that we don't like, if you make your pipelines go through Shiite countries instead of Sunni countries, then uh, we're going to use our military bases to shoot you down, or we'll have our allies shoot you down, like we had uh, Turkey shoot down uh, uh, the Russian plane. So essentially, foreign countries are, are financing their own uh, oppression. What the f***? Hmm? What does that mean? Math? No. <laughs> I do not believe in math, and I don't think we should encourage it. Um, ooh. I... Oh, okay, this is a really hard one. Um, there are really two sides to this story. On the one hand, you have math. And then on the other hand, you have, this is like non-math. All seven-year-olds should have the right to decide for themselves if math is scientific fact. Math is a theory, and it's, it's not at all what the Bible tells us. We live in America, not Russia. Just a little bit. Adding. Not, um, the, uh, times. I think that people should try to be as knowledged as they can. I think they need to get learned so that, you know, they can make a choice about all of the world things. Children have the right to learn anything they want to contains learn. Contains no fruit juice or fruit pulp. Contains oh, added flavor. You really don't know what the square root of 16 is. No all India Radio.
by corporations that are attempting in all ways to retrofit Detroit to become a place of the wealthy. gentleman, we can call him that, by the name of Maddie Maroon. And Maddie Maroon owns that particular building and has refused to demolish it or let it be re renovated or anything while he waits for something new to happen in the city of Detroit. These buildings to my left are uh, the second set of apartment buildings that were built and these are called Midtown. They're, they used to start at $1,100 a month. I don't know what it costs to live in there now. And their apartment buildings, as you can see, the windows are gone. You know, they're slated for demolition. Finally, right past the boulevard, the orange barrels went away. And the M1 rail is supposed to stop at the West Grand Boulevard site where we just passed. Here's Value World that we're just passing. Value World is a commemorative spot because it's the first time we really knew that the lives of poor people meant nothing. And that's a woman was hiding after she stole a pair of shoes out of Value World. And she jumped into a trash can receptacle and the trash truck came by and picked it up didn't know she was in it. By the time she realized something was, happen, was happening, it was crushing the trash inside of there and it killed her. It's the first time we realized there's something wrong, just something drastically wrong. She was 32 years old and she died for a pair of shoes that cost 50 cents. Jackie and I are on a mission to stop piracy. Do you even know what a real pirate looks like? If this were a movie, we could take on the bad guys ourselves. If this were a movie, all of the pirates would look like this. But what if pirates aren't always the bad guys? 
What if pirates are some of the most creative people on the planet? Anyone who uses information can be branded a pirate. If you photocopy a page from a book or sing happy birthday in public, then in the eyes of the law, you are a pirate. Musicians thought Thomas Edison was a pirate when he invented the phonographic record player. They thought records would replace live performances, but instead it created the record business. When you buy pirate movie and music, you support criminals. It might not seem like a crime, but it is. Because you're not just stealing from people who don't need the money, like producers and studios. You're stealing from me. And then these pirates come and they steal all our internets. Don't f with my DVD money, boy. But the movie business was founded on piracy too. Filmmakers who didn't want to pay a license fee to make movies in the 1900s fled New York from the Wild West, where they set up a pirate movie making business. One of them was named William Fox. The town of pirate filmmakers was called Hollywood. Pirates may be criminals operating in the shadows when they start, but they also develop new innovations. Now these criminals are counterfeiting other things, like electronics and medicine. Smart businesses beat pirates by copying them. The majors tried to fight music pirates in the courts, but Steve Jobs beat pirates and the record companies by competing with them in the marketplace with iTunes. It was a huge, huge move. In India, doctors reverse-engineered Western drugs and made pirate copies that the poorest people in society could afford. Some drug companies are fighting pill pirates, while other companies compete, giving away vital drugs in poor countries. Free, at no cost, to every single patient. It saves lives, and it makes them look better to consumers back in the West. Downloading films is stealing. If you do it, you will face the consequences. But what if the consequences of piracy are good in the long term? One consequence was the United States of America. During the Industrial Revolution, the US was only able to grow as quickly as it did because it totally ignored intellectual property laws. This annoyed Europeans so much they began calling Americans Yankees, a Dutch slang term meaning pirate, which we today pronounce Yankees. Pirates creep into legal grey areas and do things they aren't supposed to. But copying and sharing information in weird new ways is how we've always driven society forward. It's always been part of pop culture. The evolution of the remix through the reggae, disco and hip-hop scenes has mutated from a musical phenomenon into one that we can find everywhere from video games to the fashion business. Customer collaboration and customization now power all kinds of industries. We do our editing based on what our customers say they want. So if it's nudity, we take that out. Punk inspired a generation to do and create everything themselves. If there was nothing good on TV in the 1970s, starting a band to speak out about it was a good idea. Don't accept the old order. Get rid of it. Now if there's nothing good on TV, we can start alternatives to TV. Rip up old business models and start again. Music isn't the only way to rebel anymore. The way graffiti is evolving is changing the way we think about advertising and the way information flows in public spaces. The stickers instantly transform this billion dollar corporate monologue into a, a public dialogue. All over the world, the way information flows is changing. It used to be a one-way street, but now it moves in all different directions. Companies have been selling us objects for years by taking meaning from culture and attaching it to products. Burger King has named me the king of music and fashion. But now we're able to talk back. Me and the fruit stand have gotten together, and the fruit stand has decided to name me the queen of music and fashion. Rightly or wrongly, pirates push boundaries. 
culture is figuring out new ways to create meaning. New kinds of networks are forming. Are pirates terrorists or freedom fighters? They can hurt businesses, but they can also help them. They can hamper society or make things better. Wait, that's illegal. No, it isn't. I don't want it to be illegal. Therefore, it isn't. That's the way it works. Which side are you on? Will you fight the rebellion or become part of it? to give you around half their weekly wages. Now, if you happen to own an apartment in Auckland, New Zealand, the high rent returns, other people's money, around half a week's pay for most people, could be paid to you as rent every week. Now, many people invest in Auckland because of the high demand for rents. There's no stamp duty, no land tax, and within New Zealand, generally no capital gains tax either. It's an investor's dream and very affordable. New apartments in the centre of Auckland can be purchased for as little as $390,000. That's right, $390,000. And with as little as $2,000 initial deposit, you could secure one today for yourself as an investment. If the idea of having people in New Zealand going to work for you, giving you hundreds of dollars a week, paying for your apartment, appeals to you, and I'm sure it does, then call 62380881 to find out how it's done. That number again, 62380881. Call now. You've chosen the song for us to sing. Equities are still cheap relative to any other asset class. But they're not. I would say the single family homes are cheap now, too. You uh, would. Yeah, single family homes. It, but it, 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 if I had a way of buying a couple hundred thousand single family homes and. I, and had a way of managing. The management is enormous. It was really a problem because they're one by one. They're not like apartment houses. So, but I would load up on them, and I would I would take mortgages out at very very low rates. But but uh, if if anybody is thinking about buying homes five years ago, they couldn't buy them fast enough because they thought they're going to go up, and now they don't buy them because they think they're going to go down. And interest rates are far lower. Uh, it's a way, in effect, to short the dollar because you can you can take a 30-year mortgage. And if it turns out your interest rate's too high next week, you refinance lower. And if it turns out it's, it's too low, the other guy's stuck with it for 30 years. So it, it's a very attractive asset class now. If you are a young individual investor at home and you have your choice between buying your first home or investing in stocks, where would you tell someone is the better well, bet? If I thought I was going to live, if I knew where I was going to want to live the next five or 10 years, I would buy, I would buy a home and I'd finance it with a 30-year mortgage. And, and, uh, it's a terrific deal. And if I literally, if I was an investor that was a handy type, which I'm not, <laughs> and I could buy a couple of them at distressed prices uh, and find renters, uh, I think that's, uh, and, and, and again, take a 30-year mortgage. It's, it's a, a leveraged way of owning a very cheap asset now. And, and no, I, I, think, I think that's probably as attractive an investment as you can make.